0: Alright, good morning, South Point. How we doing this morning? Awesome. I uh, hope that you guys are doing well and having a great week. Everybody on spring break this week? Super excited about that. I know my kids are, for sure. Um, but I am excited to be a part of this series, uh, When in Rome. And so I, I hope that uh, you're ready to dive into it with us this morning. Uh, last week, uh, my son, Caden, turned 10 years old. We have a double-digit child now in our family. It's a little surreal. And uh, I can remember whenever... Uh, we first found out that we were pregnant with Caden, and uh, Jacqueline found out that, and so we we go to the baby doctor, and of course, like, I'm thinking, like, first time, we're going to find out what it is. Like, I wanted a boy. I wanted a boy for my first kid. That carry on your family name, right? And uh, I can remember going, and they're like, oh, no, well, you don't find that out for, like, 16 weeks or whatever it is, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Then why am I here, you know? And, no, I'm just kidding, And uh, but seriously. Uh, so I I can remember coming back and and it was like the big one. It was like, okay, this is when we're going to find out whether we're having a boy or a girl. And I remember, you know, walking into the room and they hooked Jacqueline up to all the electrodes and whatever else that, you know, they have to use to find that out. And they turn on the sonogram and I'm looking at the screen so intently and I'm like, what am I looking at here? I mean, it's just like a bunch of black gray goop on the screen that's moving. I'm like, I have, what, what am I looking at here? And of course, you know, Jacqueline and the nurse, they're all like, oh, look, at, you can see his profile. You know, you can see the baby's nose. And I'm just like, get to the good stuff, okay? Show me what I need to see to know if I'm having a boy. And so finally she goes, okay, do you guys want to know what the sex of the baby is? And I said, yes, of course. That's why I'm here. Let's see this. What, what, what am I looking at here? Because obviously she sees something on the screen that I can't see. And she says, well, you're having a boy. And I went, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Got myself a boy. That's right. We did it right. Okay, let's uh, keep moving on. And you know, whether you've ever had that experience or not, I think all of us know what it's like to be able to look at a sonogram, when, whether that's on Facebook or somebody shows you a picture like, hey, this is our baby girl or this is our baby boy. You look at a sonogram and, and all of us have had that experience where we go, what in the world am I even looking at here? And the truth is, is that I think scripture is oftentimes very similar to that. We have the scriptures and they reveal to us these images of God. They reveal to us these snapshots of who God is at different moments throughout history. We see God maybe in this snapshot, he's incredibly powerful, or we see a snapshot that he's incredibly loving or that he's justice or that he's a judge or that he is righteous or he is holy. And we have all of these different images and snapshots of who God is, and we have to kind of compile them all together to kind of get this holistic view of who is God. And it's important for us to get these images correct and to get them put together rightly. I love this famous quote by A.W. Tozer. He's a famous Christian author and pastor. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. You can see it on the screen. It's this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because if the whole world is focused on God, if it is from Him and through Him and to Him and for Him and all of these things, then it follows from that that if we want to function in the world rightly, for us to live life to the fullest as Jesus said that He wanted to give us, we have to have a proper understanding of who God is in the midst of it all. Because if we don't see Him correctly, it affects everything else in our lives, especially our worship. So that we can come into church services and we can sing some songs and we can listen to the message and we can go out the back door and we can leave and kind of miss it. And our worship can become hollow and empty and shallow because our vision of God isn't aligned with who He is rightly. And so if there's anything that you walk out of this service today, there's one thing that I really want you to be, again, to to focus in on. In fact, if you have your notes, you can go ahead and pull them out of your bulletin. You can fill this blank in your notes, and it's simply this, is that the greater our understanding of God is, the less about us we realize our lives become. The greater our vision, the greater our perspective, the greater our understanding of who God is, the less about us our lives become. And so as, you, as Pastor Scott mentioned, we've been going through the book of Romans this month. And so I want to take a moment, if you have your mobile device or if, you have, you know, if you're joining us on Facebook Live, you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Now, if you haven't been here throughout this series, don't worry. I want to take like 30 seconds and catch you up to where we're at today. So if you've been here throughout this series, kick back, relax, enjoy the review very briefly, okay? Because Paul is writing this letter, we call it a book, but really it's a first-century letter that the apostle Paul is writing to the church that's in the ancient city of Rome. Now he he's never been there. It's very uniquely one of the few churches that he writes a letter to that he didn't actually start and plant himself, but he knows a number of the folks there, and so Paul is writing to them one of the most comprehensive uh, proclamations of what the gospel is anywhere throughout the New Testament, and so. Paul starts off in the first few chapters of Romans, and he says, look, hey, I just want to lay the groundwork for you. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, okay? Whether you're Jew, whether you're a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, it doesn't matter. All of us have messed up. All of us have fallen short of where God wants us to be. That's the bad news. But then he goes on and he says, but the good news is that now while the wages of sin is death, while you may work for sin or work for yourself your whole life, the wages that you'll earn at the end of life is death, separation from God. He says while the wages of sin is death, the gift, the free gift, you don't deserve it, you haven't earned it, but it is freely given. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of that now, Paul then goes into Romans 8 and he says, now because of that, now you are more than conquerors. Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, he says, you are heirs of God and you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, meaning that everything that is Christ's is now yours. Eternal life, hope, you are now the righteousness of God. And because of that, for those who love him and live according to God's purposes, hey, you can trust that even when bad things happen in your life, guess what? It all will work out for your good because there's now nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor nothing in all of creation, Paul says, can separate you from the love of God. And everybody said, amen. And then Paul takes this kind of little sidebar in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And he says, hey, I just want to let the Jews know God hasn't forgotten who you are. Okay, not too many people preach out of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 because it's really specific, particularly to the Israelite people. And he's trying to remind them listen, God has not forgotten his promises to you, and God is still merciful, and God hasn't forgotten who you are. And then Paul does something. At the end of chapter 11, Paul does something that he rarely, if ever, does in any of his writings. After 11 chapters of theology, Right? What we think about God, that's theology. Sometimes theology gets kind of this bad rap, but really theology is just what you think about God. And he gives us eleven chapters of what we ought to be thinking about God. And it's like Paul just gets so excited, he gets so amped up that he breaks into poetry. Anybody know somebody like that in your life? Just they just get like so amped up, you know, like at an OU game or something, like score and like, oh man, hickory, dickory, dock. Man, the mouse ran up the clock. I don't, I don't know if that happens to you or not. But so here's what Paul says: Romans chapter 11, verse 33. You can read it on the screen. It says this: it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable! I, I love, I love that word. How unsearch, how, how inscrutable are His ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord?" Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever been, who has ever given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him, what does it say? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And everybody said, amen. What an incredible view and picture and snapshot of who God is. Now, let's break this down a little bit, and let's kind of unpack it, and then we'll take something away for us today. Because in verse 33, here's what Paul says. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't typically think of God as being rich, right? I mean, it's not really one of those things. It's not really one of those descriptive terms that we hear a lot. Like we hear power and glory and and holy, but we don't really hear that God is rich. But let me kind of put this in perspective for us a little bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Verse 14, Moses records this, he says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. In other words, every sky on every planet, in every solar system, in every corner of the universe belongs to God. He is the owner and the creator of everything. There isn't one square inch of the cosmos that God cannot rightly stand over and say, mine. In fact, I want to continue to wrap our minds around this a little bit. Here's a photograph that I want to show you. This is, this is a portion of the largest photograph that has ever been taken by NASA. In fact, you, and you can Google it, you can look it up on your own time. This is only one twenty-eighth of the image. So this image, it's the top little corner that I took a screenshot of. This, make it four rows and then seven columns wide. That's the size of this image. It's a picture of the Andromeda galaxy. And every single pinprick on that screen is a different star system. Now, I want to read a quick passage to you, and I want you to look at this image and think about the perspective. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, God says this. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now let's, let's kind of wrap our minds around this a little bit. Now if you could travel at the speed of light, that would be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? not not 186,000 miles an hour or even a minute but 186,000 miles per second that's seven times around the whole world in one second 1, what do like you you want to you want to beat the, the next church to B Dubs after lunch, after church boom you're there man you you got it okay it's incredibly fast. In fact, now, now, if you traveled at that speed, 186,000 miles an hour per, or excuse me, per second, every second, without slowing down, it would take about five and a half hours to reach the edge of our solar system at Pluto. Not bad, right? Five and a half hours. I've been on plane rides that are twice as long as that, and I only got halfway around the world. I mean, what's up with that? But if you go out beyond that, go out into deep space, you travel 186,000 miles per second, every second, it would take you four years to reach the nearest star system in Alpha Centauri. But you continue out beyond that. You travel 186,000 miles per second, every second, never slowing down, for 2.5 million years, you'll reach the nearest galaxy. And there are millions of galaxies, over 10 billion, trillion stars. He made it. It's his. I think St. Basil of the early church said it best when he said, it would be easier to measure the entire ocean in a little cup than to grasp the greatness of God in the human mind. Oh, the depth of the riches of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and he continues in verse 33. He says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. God knows every word, in every language, of every sentence, of every chapter, of every book that has ever been written in the history of mankind. He knows every bit of mathematics, every bit of science, every bit of astrophysicists, every every bit of physics, every bit of history, every bit of sociology and zoology. He knows the temperature of every star in the cosmos, the orbit of every planet, the height of every mountain, and the depth of every ocean. He holds in perfect unity and in existence the atoms of, every, of all throughout the universe without ever breaking a sweat or growing weary in doing so. He infinitely transcends the universe that he has made, but he is not distant from us. He is here. He is near to us. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking in the ancient city of Athens, and he's speaking to all these philosophers of the world, and he's telling them this. He says, God did this so that men would see, Him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God is the creator of the incredibly large, but he is also the creator and owner of the incredibly small the building blocks of life, the DNA, the enzymes, the amino acids. The building blocks of matter, the atoms, the nucleons, the neutrons, the electrons, the protons, the leptons, the quarks. He is the God of detail. Nothing is too small to escape his notice. And he knows right where you are today and the issues that you're facing in your own life. At this moment, God has more knowledge and is more aware of you than you are of yourself. He's aware of your body, the beating of your heart. How many beats has it already beaten today? How many beats Will it continue to beat? The pulsing of your blood throughout your veins. The blood pressure that you had 20 years ago, the blood pressure you have this moment and what you'll have 20 years from now. The intake of oxygen into your lungs, the expulsion of carbon dioxide in the same breath. He's aware of your thoughts, even the ones that come and go like a flash while I'm talking to you. He is aware... Uh, He remembers with perfect clarity things that you've forgotten about your own life. And He knows far distant events that you are completely unaware of, but that will have a direct bearing upon your life. He is present here, and He is present everywhere. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Is it any wonder, then, that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, do not be anxious about anything because... Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Paul continues on in verse 33. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. I love that word inscrutable. It just, you don't usually use that too often, so it just sounds great to say it. So if God knows, let's think about this, because if God knows everything literally about everything and everything belongs to him and he owns everything, then how in the world are we with our little nanosecond of existence on this earth going to stand in judgment of how God operates the world? Have you ever had one of those moments with your kids, maybe particularly when they were young? I don't have teenagers yet, so I can't wait for those years. But when my kids were young, like those moments when they would ask you a question about something and you, the knowledgeable parent that you are, give the correct answer and they go, I don't know if that's right. And, yeah, we've all experienced that, haven't we? I'm sitting there going, yeah, well, you can't even spell your name right, so just be quiet. No, I'm just kidding. I never said that at all. But, but this, is, this is kind of what's happening here, isn't it? I mean, it's in essence, it's like Paul is saying, are, are you serious right now? Like, like do you really want to scrutinize God? You, I mean, you, you who can't even understand, much less control your own life, are you really going to scrutinize God? Now, he's not saying it's wrong, he's not saying it's a sin or anything like that, but it, isn't it kind of like the three-year-old that's in the back seat who's questioning whether or not you're lost? See, the thing that I want us to understand this morning is that while an expanded vision and understanding and view and snapshot of who God is, while while it, it reveals to us that life isn't really about us, the reverse of that is also true. When life is all about us, when we are so wrapped up in ourselves, it is the direct result of having a narrow view and vision of who God is. When I have a narrow vision of who God is, I miss everything else that's going on around me, don't I? I miss it. I miss the joy. I miss the purpose of God. I miss the needs that I could be meeting. But because I'm so focused on what I want, I miss the opportunities that God has. I miss out on the potential that a full vision of God provides me. And then Paul does something here. In this passage. He raises three questions to us, and these questions, I have to warn you, are a little uncomfortable, and the reason they're a little uncomfortable is because while Paul doesn't give the answers to these questions, you and I both know the answers to these questions, and the reason they're uncomfortable is because you know you, and I know me, and we know things about ourselves that maybe other people do not. We know how selfish we can become, don't we? We know how easily pride can slide in and how easy we can become arrogant and think we've got everything under control. But look at these questions that Paul raises here. In verse 34, he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Like, like an ant trying to understand the complexity of my own life. That ant can't even begin to comprehend the complexities of my own life. How much more so Can we as the creation ever even begin to understand the thought process of an infinitely great God? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Now, certainly God has revealed at least a certain amount of of, of his mind to us. If I am a prisoner chained to a wall, I can't reach across the room and touch my finger to the nose of the officer on the other side of the room. But it doesn't follow from that that the officer can't walk across the room to me and touch his nose to my finger. Are you with me? God has revealed certain things to us. In the beginning of Romans, in fact, Paul makes the argument that God has revealed himself in nature and in creation itself that no one can stand before God saying, well, I never heard about you, God, I didn't know. No, 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 Paul says no one is without excuse. No one is with an excuse because God has revealed himself in nature and and, and in creation, but God has also revealed himself through our conscience. God has written his moral law upon our hearts so that even people who have never even heard about God before can look up at the stars like we just did and can see there's something else out there and I'm not right with it, whatever it is. And then when we look at the Scriptures, God has specially revealed who He is through the person of Jesus. We know a lot about God. But what Paul is trying to say here to us is that God has not revealed enough of His mind to us that any one of us could walk up to God one day and say, Now, God, I see what you're doing here, and uh, have you thought about doing it this way instead? Like, like, like have, have you thought about this option, God? I mean, that might be something you hadn't thought about. And then have God respond to us by saying, oh, me, I had no idea. I'm so glad that you told me that. I mean, can you imagine? I could have messed up the whole space-time continuum. I mean, my, God, that person may not have got their parking spot if you wouldn't have told me about that. No, of course not. Paul says, who has ever known the mind of the Lord? And when we have this image and this snapshot of who God is, how can we possibly begin to fathom the mind of the Lord? He says, who has ever been his counselor? No. Paul says nobody gets to counsel God. Nobody gets to give him advice. Nobody gets to make straight paths for him as if he needed any one of us to do so. And then he raises the third question. And this is the one for me that's probably the most uncomfortable because it just combats our, I think, our whole westernized Christian here in America, Christianity here in America, and, and it'll make sense here, here why. In verse 35, he says, Who has ever, and there's two verses that I've actually put on the screen. The one that I like is probably the NIV the most, when he says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Who has ever given to God so much that God has been placed in their debt? Now, here's the reason why this is a bit rattling for me, because if everything that has ever been made belongs to God, then there is nothing that I can give him that he doesn't already own. You say, oh, Michael, I'll I'll give him my life. Please, he gave you that life, and he can take that life away at any time that he wishes to. Well, Michael, I'll give him my will. Well, God gave you that free will, and he can take that free will and make you into a puppet anytime he wants. There is nothing that I have that God doesn't already own. From my finances, my body, my will, my desires, everything God already owns. What this means, then, is God cannot be bargained with. He is not some car salesman that we can go up and say, "Okay, well, if I'm going to get that, look, I'll give you this if you'll give me that." God cannot be bargained with. He we have nothing that we can negotiate with him on. Our very existence is a grace that is extended to us out of God's mercy and his love. Every laugh that you have with your children, every breath that you take, every vacation you go on with your spouse, every meal that you eat and you give thanks for God providing, every beat of your heart, every step uh, that you take, every mundane day at the office that you come home and complain about, amen, is by His good graces alone. We can't be good enough to earn a longer life on this earth. We can't pray enough to make. God, do what we want God to do. There's nothing that we can give God so that we could rake him over the coals and say, God, you owe me this. Paul says, no, no. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And if we're not careful, we can sometimes allow this type of thinking to creep into our lives and taint our image and understanding of who God is because we can say things like well god if you do this for me then i'll do that for you i'm sure none of us have ever said anything like that before god, god if if you do this then 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 i'll 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 go and do that god i'll i'll tell that person about jesus but you got to do this for me first god well god, god i have fasted and god i've prayed and God, I've sacrificed, and I've quit my job, and I'm standing up for you, and I'm being persecuted at school, and I'm being made fun of, and I'm having this situation, and all of these things. Paul, So because of all of these things, God, you have to do this for me now. Paul says no. He just takes that needle and pop, pops that bubble. He says no. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Now that's the difficult news. And the reason I say it's difficult, as I said, is because I think it kind of clashes with our Americanized Christianity that's real comfortable and we like to have things our own way. But the good news for us this morning is that while God cannot be put into our debt, His grace and His justice, Paul says in Romans, meet at the cross. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He gives us all things that we need. Peter says in his epistle, he says, everything that we need, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness according to his power that is at work within us. Finally, these last couple of verses, Paul simply reiterates what he's already been saying in these verses. Verse 36, he says, for from him, here's the reason why all these other things are true. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him, not you, not me, to him be the glory forever. Amen. You say, Michael, you say, Michael, what does all this mean for me? What what does, what does all this mean for us in our lives when we read things like this? And you know, you know what one of the eye-opening things, and I have to be honest, I have, I have wrestled with this message for the last several weeks and just praying and asking God to make things clear for me and things that maybe I've missed and things that maybe we make sure we need to make sure and talk about it. and one of the things that really didn't hit me until last night I rewrote the whole ending of this message last night because there's just it hit me the eye opening part about this message for me is i think for us this morning that God is showing us a text he's showing us this passage that is all about him. Paul doesn't say anything about you and me. I mean, we love passages like that, right? We love hearing about man, you are more than conquerors. All things work together for your good. You now have this, and his love is nothing can separate you. We love passages like that. We love that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in those passages that are about us but paul doesn't say anything about us at all he doesn't say anything about purpose for us he doesn't say anything about our salvation it is all 100 about god god's glory god's name god's wisdom god's riches god's knowledge it's all about him and i think when we read a passage like this we can very easily just blow right on through it and really be unimpressed and even bored when we talk about it because the passage isn't about us And maybe one of the reasons that our worship of God can sometimes feel hollow or empty or stale or we feel like we just kind of miss the point is because we fail to have this proper understanding of who God is. And so I think there's two options that are before us today. The first option is that we can sort of live in this illusory life where everything is about me. That worship is about me. Church is about me. The gospels are about me. Life is about me. My family is about me. My life is about me. My job is about me. My money is about me. Everything is about me. Or we can choose to align ourselves with the truth. That life is ultimately not about you and it's not about me. Life is about the glory of of God's great name. Our salvation, why we should live the way that we ought to live, it's all about bringing Him glory that He is due. We can repent, and we can realize that God, all by Himself, is enough. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want God to be enough for me. I want God, God alone, all by himself to engage my soul. I want God alone to impress me that nothing else, I don't need anything else but this description of God to want to fall on my face before his great and powerful and glorious name and proclaim that he is supreme above everything else in my life. That my life would be more about him and less about me. So here's what I want us to do today. Today we're going to end slightly differently. Normally we would just pray and then we would close out the service. But today we're going to end slightly differently. Because today we want to give you an opportunity to respond to who God is. To respond to the depth of His riches and His wisdom and His knowledge. This picture, this snapshot of who God is. And that that would be enough to move you today. So as as Kyle sings, I want to be able to encourage you after I pray. You can stand and you can sing with him today. I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to sit quietly and simply reflect upon who God is and what God has done in your life, I would encourage you to do that. But no matter what it is that you want to be able to do, I want to encourage you to take a step this morning. Take a step and engage God today. Don't let this moment pass you by. We've talked about how incredible God is. We have sang about His incredible love and we will do so again in a moment. But don't let this opportunity pass you by. Take this moment and engage with Him this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You that You are all that we need. That You are enough for us. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who has ever known the mind of God or who has been his counselor? No one, God, no one. And so I pray today that you would expand our vision of who you are, expand our understanding, expand our image of who you are, God, tear down and break down the walls, God, that have hemmed you in, these little boxes that hem in your glorious name and that we put you away safely in our pockets so that you don't mess up our lives. God, take that box out of our pocket and smash it on the ground today and expand our vision of who you are, engage our souls today, engage our mind, engage our hearts, God, break down these walls, God, so that you may run freely through our lives that our souls may run with you and be refreshed in you and renewed in you because you are love and mercy and justice and grace and everything that is supreme and glorious. So God, as we sing today, I pray, Lord, that we would engage you and that you would speak and guide us.